Now, with the latest from the world of technology, this is the Tech Guide Podcast with Stephen Fennick. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading once again. Tech Guide. Well, without a doubt, the biggest tech story of the week. Tech Guide. It's a very competitive market, the smartphone market. Keeping you updated and educated. This is a device that combines a tablet, a laptop, and a sketch pad. This is the Tech Guide Podcast. This is the future. Wireless earphones. Tech Guide. What you see is what you get. Quality is obvious. Now, from the studios of techguide.com.au, Stephen Fennick. Hello and welcome to Tech Guide, episode 324. This is the podcast that keeps you always updated and always educated about the latest consumer tech news and reviews. Thank you for downloading once again our regular listeners. Thank you for listening. And you first-time listeners, we hope we turn you into regular listeners. My name is Stephen Fennick, and I'm the editor of that great website, techguide.com.au. On this week's show, Apple has unveiled a new iPad Pro and an updated MacBook Air. The Norton Social Experiment to help parents manage their kids' screen time. And we'll talk to Dr. Joanne Orlando, who ran that experiment. And the audiobooks that Audible recommends to keep your dog calm. In the Tech Guide reviews, we're going to take a look at the Huawei Mate 20 Pro smartphone. We also road test Tesla version 9 software of the electric car and outline the rebates for solar batteries that have just been introduced in Australia. And we'll wrap it all up with the Tech Guide help desk. And it's all brought to you by Netgear, Australia's number one brand of home Wi-Fi products, and also Norton, the company to help keep you and your family safe online. Massive show as usual, so let's get cracking. Apple held an event late last week and introduced some new hardware, a new iPad Pro, a new MacBook Air, and the Mac Mini, if for those of you who remember that. But let's start off with the iPad Pro. This was undoubtedly the star of the show. Here is a device that has had a, a pretty solid makeover. The home button is gone. No longer there. This is all screen, this device. So it goes edge to edge, that display. It's the same liquid LCD display that is on the the uh, iPhone XR. So uh, really high quality there. And there is, it almost goes to the edges. So there's a bezel around, around the sides of the device. It now has square edges instead of that tapered edge that we've normally seen. And it's only, I think, 59 millimeters thick which is remarkable this this is a the ipad pro means it's the the more robust faster more more specced up to be a laptop replacement type of device so this is uh really going to excite those customers who were looking at a device that they could use uh to write on the screen use the touch screen but then attach a keyboard a smart keyboard and then use it as a laptop as well. The Apple Pencil, which is the product that can be used with the device, sold separately, by the way. You, uh, you can, uh, that's also had a redesign, and it also has some, some new capabilities. It actually attaches to the top of the iPad, or one of the long sides of the iPad, I should say. There's no real top or bottom. And it connects magnetically and also pairs the Apple Pencil uh, and also charges it. So there's a little, little miniature wireless charging station up there, so you know where your Apple Pencil is, and you know that it's going to be charged, and you also know that it's going to be 
paired. So uh, no, no surprises here with the design following the iPhone 10 design, so no home button. Now you need to use Face ID to unlock the device and uh, the gestures, same gestures to get to the home screen, so swiping up from the bottom, same gestures to get your notifications, to get your control center, all of those, thi- of the, those things happening. Uh, two sizes again, 11-inch and the 12.9-inch. Now the 11-inch, which is the uh, the smaller of the two. Well, the previous iPad Pro actually had a 10.5-inch screen. So what they've done, they've been able to for uh, to keep almost the same size device, I think it's slightly smaller, but have a bigger screen. That's because of that edge-to-edge, side-to-side design with no home button, see? So more screen in less space, hence the reason why 10.5 has now jumped up to 11. 12.9 has still stayed the same screen size for the, the larger iPad Pro. But what they've done is actually kept the screen size the same, but the device is a lot smaller. Uh, it is, so because of that edge-to-edge design, it's really shrunk it down a little bit. For those who have used the iPad Pro, the 12.9 inch, it is a monster iPad. Now, uh, not so big because of those, uh, the redesign with the, the edge-to-edge design and removing the home button. So removing the forehead and the chin of the iPad has certainly made it a lot smaller. The iPad Pro also has a new chip. It's the A12X Bionic chip. So the A12 is on the iPhone XS and the XR. This one's got the A12X, so a bit more kick, a bit, uh, bit more power, and it is also driving things like, and, and really driving all those commanding computing tasks that we want to use on the go, like things like editing photos and videos, creating 3D models and things like that. So you want this, if this is going to be the pro version and you're using it on the move, it, it can't be a slouch. It needs to be a powerful device, and that's exactly what they've done. It's built on 7 nanometer technology. So next level performance you're going to get out of this baby and still have 10 hours of battery life. Uh, they've also incorporated the same neural engine, so uh, really helps with that. From everything from photography to augmented reality, it's got your back. It's going to really power this device through. Really smooth performance on the graphic side as well. Uh, Four-speaker audio, so it uh, can still be used to enjoy your content as well as it is uh, a workhorse. You can also sit back and enjoy movies and music as well. Augmented reality, of course, can be powered through the iPad Pro. We've already spoken about the pencil. Also, there's also a new, a new uh, smart keyboard as well that wraps around the front and back of the iPad, so you're protecting the screen and the rear panel, uh, and it manages to also fit in a, a full keyboard under there as well. One really interesting change, and one that I, uh, I'm, I'm applauding, is the removal of the lightning connector, or replacement, I should say. So no more lightning connector. Now they've got a USB-C connector, which I think makes the iPad Pro a more credible laptop replacement device. It, it now has, it's more compatible with things. So you can connect monitors and drives and cameras and various other peripherals, which before simply you could not do unless they could be wirelessly connected. It really, I think it, it handicapped the iPad Pro, its lack of connectivity, its lack of, of that similarity across the board with other devices. Like Take a look at the Surface Pro laptop. That's got so much connectivity. You can still connect things. 
but the iPad didn't. The previous iPad had the lightning connector if you needed dongles and all these sorts of things. And uh, now I think they've they've made the right choice here with the USB-C connector. And I'm tipping, and I've written about this on Tech Guide as well, I'm tipping that the iPhone will follow suit. So the 2019 iPhones... I think they'll get rid of the connector as well, the the lightning connector, and also adopt USB-C. That's that's my prediction. So remember the date. Remember when I said this. That, that's how I think Apple's going to go there. So uh, having that USB-C port, I think, is a very smart move. You can even use that USB-C port to charge your iPhone as well. And uh, this is going to go on sale November 7. Starts at... 1229 bucks for the 11-inch. The 12-inch starts at 1529 and it ain't cheap if you want to go all the way to having the 4G LTE and a terabyte of uh, memory on board. You're talking close to $3,000 for the 12.9-inch. But uh, it is a laptop replacement uh, after all. So if you're going to spend the money, you're still getting plenty of bang for your buck. Now, also unveiled by Apple at that event was the MacBook Air. Now, that was, this was introduced more than 10 years ago, can you believe? Steve Jobs stood up at Macworld in 2008. I should know, I was there. So 2000, January 2008, and he said there's something special in the air. And then he turned around and pulled out an, an envelope, a business-size envelope, and out of that envelope, he pulled out the very first MacBook Air. And at that time, it was astonishing. It, this was the first of what we were going to see to be the new ultrabooks, ultralight, ultra-thin laptops. And it has set the pace uh, ever since. And it's been a long time, actually, since they've updated it seriously. And this is the first time for years that it actually has had a slight makeover. Not not a complete redesign. looks pretty much the same as before, but it's slightly thinner, slightly lighter. Got a different, uh, slightly thinner bezels. Got black bezels instead of silver bezels, as it was before. Available in different, different colors, uh, but a lot gutsier as well. It is uh, 49% uh more 17% smaller by volume uh and has 48% more color than the previous screen as well so it's cuz it's got the retina display now that was the thing that the MacBook Air was the only MacBook uh laptop until now that never had a retina display so uh this is really going to put this at the top of a lot of people's choices because it offers the lightness the power and all of that, and it's uh, and it's a Mac, of course. So uh, there's a lot of people who are going to be adopting this, especially students. I think this is uh, priced at that at that point. It's it's not quite. It's it's uh, Apple still offers the MacBook, which is a 12-inch Retina that's actually thinner, would you believe, than the MacBook Air? MacBook Air is slightly thicker than the MacBook. So uh, the MacBook is just still called the MacBook, but the MacBook Air that is uh, going to be available also from the seventh. And uh, I think it's going to have uh, you can you can have up to 1.5 terabytes of solid state storage as well, up to 16 gig of memory. So that's the RAM on board, uh, and it includes Thunderbolt three ports as well. And it's going to be available in three colours: space grey, gold, and silver, and priced from 1,849 bucks. The Mac Mini uh, to round out that event. This was what they used to call the headless Mac. This was just like a, a device. You used to be a BYO keyboard, BYO mouse, 
And uh, you, it's still a pretty powerful device, though. It's got uh, up to 4.6 gigahertz of processing power. You can configure up to 64 gig of RAM and faster all flash storage is now on board as well. So uh, you can you can connect 4K and 5K displays. It is priced from 1249 bucks and will also go on sale on November 7. We've written about those devices, and you can keep an eye out for our reviews shortly, and you know where to find all that information, techguide.com.au. Tech Guide. Keeping you updated and educated. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Finnick. All right, next up we're going to talk about Norton, who are one of our proud sponsors. Norton is an internet security company, and they conducted a little bit of a social experiment. They're all about safety for families, security for families, but also using technology in the right way. So what they did, they decided to have an experiment which they're calling the Raising Digital Natives Social Experiment. It was run in collaboration with Dr. Joanne Orlando. She's a psychologist and a leading expert on family and digital lifestyle, and we're going to be talking to her shortly. We interviewed her at the event. But uh, the experiment was designed to show parents how they can manage their child's screen time, make the most of the time they spend together, sort of focus on screen quality rather than screen time, uh, but also just to, uh, to to be safe online as well. So you can just imagine a household, and, and they did use a family, a Sydney family from Kings Langley, the Kirkwood family, and they're a family of uh, four kids, so parents of four kids. So you can just imagine d- devices were being used uh, a fair bit, including by the parents. And one thing that a lot of families, and this may be true of your own family and your home, is that it's very quiet when everyone's on their screens. Everyone's up in their own room. Everyone's on their device doing their own thing, even the parents. And the household's quiet. So you're thinking, well, why should I change this? The peace and quiet, let's keep it. But what what you're doing, everyone's sort of cocooned in their own little areas and not really interacting as a family. They're not talking to each other. So that was something that this experiment tried to uncover as well. And uh, as, as we'll hear from Dr. Joanne Orlando a little bit later, it, it did make them realize that time spent together was better than any time you can spend alone on a screen. So, you know, they did, look, we need technology. They realize that. Students, children, we all need technology. But there is a little bit of what they call zombie scrolling going on, where you're bored and you just get your screen out and you're just scrolling through social media, really just not paying attention. And when you do that with uh, when your family around, you're not going to talk to your family. You're sort of going to be looking at your device. So there's all these little things that they learned about each other, about their habits, and how they could still have their screen time, a little bit less of it, which which was better, but also enjoy the quality time together. And they've have they have shared uh, some videos of that, which we can we've we've got up on our story on Tech Guide as well. But the whole thing is uh, a, a really interesting little exercise in seeing how you would go if you had to make these changes. It's hard enough as a parent. Imagine as the child. I think. One of their one of their children is a fifteen year old girl. Her name's Haley, and she spends a lot of time on social media, Instagram, Snapchat. So try telling a teenage girl they can't spend as much time on the internet. Good luck with that. What 
Dr. Joanne uh, did that, jo- Joanne Orlando. She was the one who conducted the experiment. So she met up with the family, uh, and she was the one who sort of met them through the halfway point and then drew the conclusions, and she'll share some incredible tips that you yourself can maybe use with your own family. But uh, really interesting experiment. You can read about it on Tech Guide, but before you do that, we want you to hear our chat with Dr. Joanne Orlando, who conducted this amazing experiment. Here's, here's what she had to say earlier. Well, hi, Joe. Welcome back to the Tech Guide podcast. This isn't your first time on the show. Welcome back. We're here at this beautiful uh, room overlooking Sydney Harbour where you've just given uh, some interesting insights into technology and family and an interesting experiment on how a family can see where they're at with technology and how they can change it for the better. Yep, so I've been working with Norton and working with a family, the Kirkwood family uh, from Sydney, who were like lots of families, arguing and arguing about technology use in the home. So arguing about all the kids and husband and wife spending too much time on technology, arguing that the parents felt like they'd lost control over the kids. They didn't really know what they were doing on their lo- online and, and uh, how unsafe or safe their practices were. And the parents really felt like they lost a lot of the togetherness mm-hmm. about being a family. The home was very quiet, apart from the arguing, that is. Um, and kids and parents weren't talking to each other and the family felt like they lost their identity mm-hmm. a little bit and lost that sort of sense of just hanging out being with each other, enjoying each other's company, parents felt quite at a loss and they didn't know what to do and they know new technology was a big factor that was influencing that. You said something really interesting where the house was quiet, so parents would assume, okay, if it's quiet, let's keep it that way. But the reason it's quiet is because everyone's off on their own devices, in their own rooms and not really interacting, is it? No, that's right. So the younger kids were playing games and things online. Uh, the teenagers were in their room, doors closed on their device, and the parents as well. You know, they were coming home from work, straight onto their device, just relaxing, checking social media, and they were sort of missing out on their conversation with each other. So, yeah, while it's great, we get heaps of work done and everything we want done, homes today have become quite silent because of that. And even, you know, you might all be watching TV at night, but everyone is still surrounded by their devices, aren't they? You know, you've got your phone, you've got your other device, the TV's on. So still, you might be together, but still quiet, Mm -hmm. actually. So... Tell us about this experiment. So it lasted a couple of weeks, did it? Or, and yeah. So just talk us through what, what you, what, how you started and what you did. Okay, so from go to woe, it was around 10 days. So initially I interviewed the parents to find out what the issues were in their home around technology and it was around arguing, it was around the, the parents not spending much time with each other, it was around screen time, the kids' massive screen time, unsafe practices they weren't quite sure of if they were yeah. safe or That's unsafe. That's the other thing, hey, safety, not only just the amount of time, but it's the, the safety aspect as well. Safety, parents really didn't know what their kids were doing, so they weren't sure if it was safe or not safe, but they knew the potential unsafe environment. Um, and around the you know teenage kids, how do you get them offline so that they can actually talk to them and spend mm-hmm. some time with them? So I... From there, I developed a number of strategies for the family. Uh, One was around reducing the screen time for kids, so we put a limit on the screen time. So the parents decided on that limit, it was two hours. So the kids were seven and 10. Um, We put a limit on the parents' screen time. So they- Well, parents have to lead by example, don't they? It's one thing to say, okay, kids, you've got to do this. And then they go then spend hours themselves on the phone and things like that. So 
how important is that? That's right. So if you're a parent and you're on your phone all the time and uh, you're telling your kids to get off, well, that's just not going to work. It doesn't cut at all. So I put in screen time limits for the parents as well. And what that was about was in terms of them deciding together, okay, at one hour a day or however long they wanted to spend per day, it was uh, something they both agreed on phones down, out of reach, and they just had to hang out with each other, you know, watch a movie, that kind of thing. Um, with a teenage daughter who was involved in the experiment, well, we can't put a two-hour screen time limit on a 15-year-old girl. It's not Good quite going to work. Yeah. Um, so I showed her some new screen time features that were on her phone, and she had to monitor how much time she was spending online on things like social media, mm -hmm. and she had to select aspects of her use that she knew just weren't. Sure. Because you did mention uh, one thing that stood out for me was you said there's screen time, but there's also screen quality. That's right. So it's uh, for everyone, it was about reducing your screen time, but also thinking about what you actually do on there. So I use the term zombie scrolling. You know those times <laughs> where you just pull out your phone and you've got nothing to do and you just yeah. start scrolling on your phone. That happens at home, it happens at work, it happens wherever yep. we are. We're all guilty of that one. That's right. So just being very aware of what you are actually using your screen for. And then one thing the parents really want to do is to bring that family togetherness again. So it was uh, over three nights, each child had to cook dinner. And at that time... Yeah. Everyone had to gather into the kitchen, dining area, so they weren't cooking on their own. Mm -hmm. Parents could help. And it was about everyone just being together in the same room. One thing the parents really wanted was more time with their kids, just more family together time. Yeah. So an important strategy that worked really well was just the kids cooking dinner every night. So parents could help. One child cooked. So they were the chef. They could decide what to yeah. cook. Uh, and they were cooking. So like instead pizza of over the iPad, they're... Helping mum with the cooking. Yeah, and that worked really well. So everyone had to come into the kitchen when cooking started. So it was everyone just being in there. They could be on their phones and things. Um, but once dinner was being eaten, phones down and yeah. everyone was just chatting. And one of the things we found that over time, there was less time on their screen while the preparation was happening. Mm -hmm. And just family talk just evolved over time. Yeah, and they got to realise that... Okay, this isn't this isn't too bad. I don't need to be on my screen all the time. That's right, and I actually like my family. I remember yeah, them. It was that, right. and um, that's one of the strategies that the family loved. It was it's just a short period of every day. Um, doesn't take a lot of preparation, and it's very doable in every family. You wouldn't want to do it every day because that might be overkill and it might become work. You want it to be fun, relaxing, okay. two or three times a week. All right, Joe, your top tips. Okay. What are the what are the there might be a, a parent or parents listening to this interview, and they're thinking I need to do something about this. So where do they start? Give us your top tips. Okay. Well, I've got thousands of tips, thousands. but I'll just give you the top one. How about the top three? <laughs> top three. One is don't think of technology as an extra part of parenting. You know, you're parenting kids now, and technology is a big part of our lives. So if you treat it as an extra. You're not going to give it the time that you might give to, you know, making sure they have a healthy diet or making yeah. sure they get enough exercise. It's very much in that part. Yep. Um, I think a second top tip is don't use technology conveniently as a parent. And by that, I mean don't use technology to guide your children's behaviour. Don't use it as a reward for good behaviour and don't use it as a punishment for bad behaviour because it creates a particular approach in terms of your kids in how they see technology as important. So you need to use a range of strategies to manage your kids' behaviour. 
it can be technology sometimes, but not all the time. Think of other kinds of things. And I think also it's about encouraging that screen quality for you and for all your kids and talk about that with them. So it's not just about hours and minutes online, it's about what you actually do on there. And to cut back in terms of cutting back those zombie scrolling uses and uh, think about doing more creative problem solving quality uses. That is brilliant. Joe, great tips. Appreciate you being on the Tech Guide podcast again. Thanks, Steve. I really enjoyed it. Now, I don't know about you, but I love audiobooks. Audible, I'm, uh, I'm always downloading books to listen to. So uh, when I'm driving, when I'm walking, when I'm in the gym, so I can, I can get through a book because it's being read to me. And it is a really popular pastime. You're listening to this podcast right now. You might be on a walk. You might be in the car. You might be in the gym. You might be doing something else. Who knows? But point is you're listening. And listening to an audio book uh, is also a great exercise as well. Well, Audible, though, have come up with a really interesting little fact here. And they've, uh, they were telling us that Audible isn't just for humans. Audible's actually revealed an audio book collection that can be, that can be played to keep dogs left at home happier and more relaxed. So bottom line is that uh, if you have a dog and you have to go to work and you have to leave them by themselves, playing music is what a lot of people do. But guess what? An animal behaviorist, Dr. Susan Hazel, said that listening to audiobooks has more of a positive influence on a kenneled dog's behavior, so a dog left by itself. And it would uh, it would have... It would the effect that a the a audio book would so it's a human voice that's being played. So the effect of hearing a human voice would actually make the dog a bit more relaxed. So spending less time on alert, listening for sounds and things, and more time resting. Because what a dog does by when it's by itself, it can get bored, it can get irritated. So it's going to bark, it's going to growl, it's going to make, it's going to disturb maybe your neighbours. I'm sure there'd be people listening now where their dog's left at home. They get a call, look, oh, your dog's barking at something. It's going nuts. but uh, And that's the reason why. They're, they're alone. They're not relaxed. But playing an audio book could be the answer. And Audible have put together a couple of collections, like an Audible for Dogs Australian collection, but also an Audible for Dogs a classic collection. And you got to remember that the dog isn't going to understand the book. Well, at least we don't think so. But that just playing, because audiobooks can last for hours. We're talking up to 60 hours, or normal audiobook lasts for between 8 to 10 hours. So if you're out of the house for your work day, a 10-hour audiobook's going to cover you if your dog's at home, that, that voice just continually reading through some speakers in your home. And uh, Audible's owned by Amazon, who produce the Echo speakers, so naturally it would work seamlessly with those Echo speakers. That could be what you do, what you can do. You can put play it, press, uh, tell tell your speaker to start playing that audio book, and it will then keep your doggy entertained and also calm and relaxed. And some of the books we're talking about in the Aussie collection is Cloud Street by Tim Winton, Working Dog Heroes by Steve Austin, and The Spotted Dog. You're getting the uh, the gist of this here, and Red Dog by Louis de Bernays. Uh, narrated by David Field. So the narrator, the calming voice of the narrator is also important. In the in the uh, classic collection, you've got Pride and Prejudice, David Copperfield, Anne of Green Gables, and The Great Gatsby. And I'd say 
that there'll be a lot of dogs who've heard these books that not many humans have even listened to. There's some classics in there. So your dog is going to be very well entertained for using the audio books and these really soothing voices. Those collections, by the way, are $19.99 each or for one credit if you're an Audible member. It costs $16.45 a month to be an Audible member. It renews automatically, but you can cancel at any time. But if you think, if you think your dog's having a rough time of it during the day, pardon the pun, then maybe an audio book from Audible is the answer. If you want to hear more about that story, you can do that at techguide.com.au. Tech Guide. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly sponsored by Netgear. They're Australia's number one Wi-Fi brand. That's the company behind Orbi, the award-winning system that makes your Wi-Fi faster and takes your Wi-Fi further. Orbi Wi-Fi systems are designed for any size homes, large or small, from apartments and lofts to single-family homes and sprawling estates. No more dead zones, no black spots, just better Wi-Fi everywhere. And for those times we need a little more, Orbi add-on satellites give you additional coverage inside and out. Perfect for backyards, garages, or even the granny flat. In today's modern household, Orbi's tri-band Wi-Fi system lets you stream your favorite movies in 4K and play online games by providing ultra-fast Wi-Fi no matter how many devices are connected. Orbi plugs into your existing modem and is really easy to set up with just a couple of clicks. And not only does it work great, it looks great too and blends into your home's decor. Orbi's the easiest, fastest, most expansive and advanced mesh Wi-Fi network available today. For more information, visit netgear.com.au. Orbi, better Wi-Fi everywhere. Tech Guide. Now, a Tech Guide review with Stephen Fennick. Tech Guide. Our Tech Guide review this week, and we did speak a bit a few weeks ago when we were in London for the launch of this product. This is the Huawei Mate 20 Pro. Well, we've been using it, and I've got to say, this is one of the best smartphones I've ever used. This is a really advanced and interesting device, a lot of great technology on board. The Mate 20 Pro, I think, is the device that's going to really put Huawei even more on the map than they are now. They're the world's number two brand, as a matter of fact, so they're already pretty well established. But I think this is going to make people take up, sit up and take notice of them, really take them seriously as a potential for their next device. This is the best device they've ever produced. It's, it's full of all these great well, world-first technologies that we'll go through in a minute, but all put together in this really nice package. It's got a good camera, a great battery, great, great an in-screen fingerprint reader. The, across the board, the experience is incredible, and it's all powered by their own silicon, by the Kirin 980 processor, which is kind of taking a leaf out of Apple's book. Apple could use their own chip in their iPhones and iPads. Well, Huawei's done the same thing. They've always done it. The Kirin 980, though, kind of takes it to the next level in terms of AI, uh, artificial intelligence, and just that sheer speed and efficiency of the device. It's got a 6.39-inch AMOLED display. It's got a really long screen, 19.5 by 9 display, so resolution of 3120 by 1440, so long and skinny phone. 
It's got a triple Leica camera, as we said. Design-wise, it is uh, has that streamlined look, and because it's narrower and longer, it really feels comfortable to hold and easy to use even with one hand. So if you still, you can still get it all your apps and do all those sorts of things. So does look a little bit like the S9, as I've mentioned before, but the S9 doesn't have a notch, and this one does have a notch. So that's a leaf taken out of the iPhone X's book as well. Well, the XS is the latest version. Pretty similar size notch it has actually as well. Uh, the, there is a special glass texture on the back as well, so it's not totally flat and smooth on the back. The, that texture actually improves, uh, does two things. It improves grip and also makes it fingerprint resistant. So you, you, if anyone who's used this, they'll look on the back and say, yeah, there's hardly any fingerprints on this thing. So that's really handy as well. Now let's start off with the features. And the first one, the one that really gets our attention is the in-screen screen, in-screen fingerprint reader. So uh, I remember getting this device before the event in London, I had, under embargo, I couldn't tell anyone I had it. But then I was going through the setup process and I noticed there was no home button, no rear sensor. And then when it came to the step where it said, do you want to register a fingerprint? I went, don't tell me. And then the next step was setting up your fingerprint using the in-screen fingerprint reader. This was remarkable that a screen could read it through can read your fingerprint through the screen, fingerprints being read. Amazing. So a little bit of pressure, and you can do that. It didn't work sometimes. It, it was like once or twice it it did say, oh, no, not recognizing. You had to press harder. Uh, it normally indicates on the screen where you need to press, so you're not pressing everywhere. There is a spot on the on the home screen where you need to press. It's probably that was the problem. We're not probably pressing squarely on that little spot. But nine, 99 times out of 100, it worked okay. Uh, but it, it did, I noticed when we were one day in London, it was a bit drizzly, so the the screen was a little bit wet. didn't work very well there either, as as do most touch screens have issues with that. Even their, their, their fingerprint readers also have similar problems, so nothing new there. But overall, really impressive, uh, the in-screen fingerprint reader. On the performance side, I've already mentioned the Kirin 980 processor. This is the secret source here. This is what powers this device and makes it as good as it is. So we're talking efficiency for the battery life, the AI in the camera, the smoothness of the graphics. Everything is better thanks to that Kirin 980 processor. There's 6 gig of RAM on board, 128 gig of storage. Android 9.0 on board, but uh, Huawei's own EMUI 9.0 is also there. That's their own interface, and it's not too not too obtrusive. It's pretty clean and, and actually unobtrusive, which is nice. That's what you want from a, a UI that's over the top of Android. You don't want it to be too present or too thick above the Android in the first place. Now let's move on, which I reckon is the star of the show, and that's the camera. The Leica triple camera system is a game changer. It's got a 40 megapixel wide angle, 20 megapixel ultra wide angle camera, and an 8 megapixel telephoto camera, and they all work together beautifully and just really, really deliver some amazing images and videos. So uh, you got all that quality at your fingertips. It's got HDR on board as well. AI also working in your favour. So what what the camera does? It it, it you uh, take take the, open up the camera to aim it at what you what you want to take a picture of. It'll know what you're looking at. It'll say, okay, you got you're pointing it at a bridge. There's blue sky. There's a bit of greenery. It's doing this. You got that in there, and it's it's thinking on the fly. It's kind of editing on the fly this image. So it knows what it's looking at, it knows what's what mode it should be in, knows all those features, and boom, you've got a brilliant photo. So no need to go back and edit it because it's already done it. 
It did it before it took the photo, would you believe? Remarkable. So whether you're looking at a landscape, a, a food, food, a pet, a flower, it'll say on it what it's looking at. I aimed it at my dogs, at Ziggy and Logan, and it said dog on the screen. If you're aiming at flowers, it'll say flowers. If you're aiming at a food, it'll say food. It knows what it's looking at. So that's that's how intelligent it is. It sort of delves into 1,500 scenarios. So it's got a, this information bank of all these different scenarios, can recognize 5,000 objects across 25 categories as well. So uh, whatever you pointed at, this thing's going to capture a great picture. And in ultra-low light as well, this thing is no slouch. It's a very, very good performer. It's also got super macro mode, but also shooting in video. We should mention that video, you can shoot in 4K. There's all these different settings you can apply, all these uh, you can uh, – what, what I like, there's a feature called the AI portrait color mode in video. So what it does, it detects a person in the foreground of the video and grays out the background. So it looks really amazing. Imagine if someone's wearing a really colorful outfit, but the background's in black and white. It looks spectacular. And this is effortless to do on the camera. Another really cool thing, and you'll see my images on my review there, that the, the Huawei Mate 20 has a 0.6 zoom. So it's less than one. So you know when you're not quite, you're too close to something, you can't get any further back. Well, if you go to knock it back to 0.6, you actually, that widens the angle right up so you can see more. Uh, I took a photo of, uh, of, uh, the, uh, uh, when I was in London of Westminster Abbey. So I was standing at the front of Westminster Abbey with, oh, which only just fit in the frame. You couldn't quite see the top and the bottom. So then I took a photo normally and then I went to the 0.6. Uh, zoom, which is a bit more wide angle, and you you see the difference there. They're next to each other on my review. So much more you fit in. So that's handy if you want to fit in more landscape, more of what you're looking at. Uh, really useful there as well. And naturally, I took pictures of my dogs. There's one of Logan there, just to illustrate just how sharp and clear the camera is. Moving on to the battery. Now, again, full marks to Huawei here. They've got a 4,200 milliamp hour battery on board, one of the largest in its class. Now, this battery lasted me, me using the phone as my daily driver, phone calls, emails, messages, everything was happening. It lasted me two days. So Monday 9 a.m. to Tuesday 5 p.m., same charge. Two full days. Not many... And it's ironic because Huawei didn't make a big deal of oh, two-day battery life, three-day battery life, which other companies have done. They've made the claim but not delivered. What I like, what I respect about Huawei is they haven't made the claim and delivered, which is, I think, better. I think it's better when you do that. When you say something and can't deliver, yeah, you know, that, that's, a bit, that's, a hit, that's a hit against you in my books. Huawei have said nothing and delivered this incredible battery life. But it doesn't end there with the batteries. It's such an innovative product, this thing. It's also got reverse wireless charging. So if I've got my Mate 20 Pro, and you you and I are at lunch, and you say, Steve, I'm running a bit low on power. I need to charge my phone. I'll say, don't worry. I've got you, I've got you covered. So I go into the settings, turn on reverse charging, place the phone, the Huawei screen down. You can place your wirelessly chargeable phone on the back of the Mate 20 Pro, and you're getting a charge, like it's sitting on a charging mat. So you can take 5, 10, take what you need, as long as you've got plenty, of course, to start with with the Mate 20 Pro, which you will. You've got two days' worth of battery life. And there you go. You can piggyback someone with power. So instead of, mate, can you spare a dime? Mate, can you spare a charge? And you can with the Huawei. 
Other features too, uh, 3D depth scanning. So it allows you to scan toys and objects and animate them, which is rather interesting. It's also got high vision, which is similar to kind of Samsung's Bixby vision, where it knows what it's looking at, especially food. It can look at food, judge the mass of that food. So say an apple, the size of the apple, how many calories are in it. It can do all that as well. Also got a remarkably accurate GPS system. Uh, they did an experiment, actually, and uh, the Huawei GPS uh, outshone the Apple and Samsung GPS in terms of accuracy. So uh, really remarkable, top to bottom, side to side. This thing is a, a really interesting device, one of the best smartphones on the market right now, I can tell you. And uh, I've given this, uh, you check out the rating I've given it, but it is a game changer for Huawei. This is a device that's going to make Apple and Samsung really uh, look over their shoulder and take pay some attention to this, this big company. And I think they've hit, they've hit a home run with the Mate 20 Pro. And uh, it's priced at 1599 bucks, available in black or midnight blue. Or on a plan, Optus and Vodafone are ranging this on a plan, which which says a lot. When when Optus and, and when telcos take on a phone that's not an Apple phone or a Samsung phone, that's massive. And that's exactly what they've done here with the Mate 20 Pro. To read that complete review, you know where to go. Check it out at techguide.com.au. Tech Guide. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Finnick. Well, as you all know, well, most of you would know, if you're regular listeners, uh, I am a Tesla driver. I do. I have a Model S 75D that I absolutely love. I've had it for just over five months now. And uh, this is an electric car, of course, and a pleasure to drive. And I was lucky enough, though, to be one of the first people in Australia to receive the new software version 9, the good old V9 that's been out in America for about a month now, probably longer, Australians, us being right-hand driver and all, we needed to, they needed to tweak the system a little bit to make it uh, okay for us. Uh, and they've done that, and it is now, I understand, available. I've had it for about no, nearly a week, but the uh, the rest of the world, uh, the rest of Australia, I should say, they are getting it now. So it's rolling out in, in the next few days and weeks for other Aussie drivers. And boy, oh boy, what an update. Now, picture when you get, when iOS 12 came out. If you're an iPhone user, and iOS 12 came out, uh, you do you ran an update. So it had a totally new iOS. You went from iOS 11 to iOS 12, and there were all these cool new features. Sometimes you had a new design. Well, that's what we got with the Tesla. Version 8 to 9 was a huge update. Not only did it have a whole new interface and new design and font and look, but it's also got a host of new features as well. So once we uh, once I applied the, uh, the update, it took a couple of hours to run it, we got a new interface, so, so I think it reflects more the same fonts and style that's used on the Model 3, which will be out in Australia next year. So creates that uh, that that consistency across all the all the, the cars now in Tesla. So the Model S, Model X in Australia, Model 3 will be out next year. They've all got a consistent font and style and design, and we're getting it now with the uh, the Model S and the Model X. Uh, this is a new application launcher, which is actually at the bottom of the screen. It used to be at the top. You used to have to press, and then the little thing drops down. But now it's at the bottom uh, and really handy to access those. Uh, it's closer to the driver, I think, and really easy to handle it. But guess what? There's more features. So what what, what I love about Tesla's updates is that it, it, it can create new features. Like how many other car companies says, oh, we've done a software update, and there are new features in your car now? Not many can say they can do that. There's plenty of hardware on the Tesla, including up to eight cameras. There are eight cameras on my Model S. They've all now been activated. And an example of a new feature in this version is 
taking advantage of the front-facing cameras and turning them into a dash cam. So the front-facing cameras detect objects and cars around you. Now, with version 9, they can be used to record what they are seeing. So you need to put a USB-C into one of the uh, USB drive, a thumb drive into the USB-C port, and you'll see a little dashboard icon appear. Tick on that, click on the icon, and you've got a dash cam. And it records and then uh, for 10 minutes of time, and then depending on how big your USB drive is, and then goes over it again like a normal dash cam. Uh, you know, it's, it's not the same quality as 4K. I think it's HD quality. doesn't have a rear camera. only got front-facing camera. I already have a dash cam in my Tesla. I've got the, uh, the Blackview 900 in my car, which is a 4K front-facing and full HD rear-facing. So, And mine also works when the car's parked, can detect impacts and movement and stuff like that. The, uh, the Tesla dash cam doesn't quite provide that, but it's something. If you don't have a dash cam, you, you now do by doing a software update and getting a USB flash drive. That's how good it is. But the other interesting things, too, to point out is uh, it now have a blind spot warning. Uh, some cars have a little light on the side mirror, so if there's a car in your blind spot, it'll light up to say, Whoop, don't, as soon as you put your indicator on, you see a light there, so there's a car in my blind spot. Well, the Tesla doesn't have the light in the mirror. It does have big side mirrors, so it does uh, have pretty good vision out there. But you still have to look over your shoulder occasionally. It does have a little bit of a blind spot. Well, now not anymore, thanks to this update. And what it does now, it uses all the cameras. All the cameras now means you can see 360-degree view around the car. So now on the driver display, you can see the car ahead of you, the car to the side of you, and the car behind you. And not only can it can it picture that, it can visualize that on your screen, but also distinguish between a sedan, a four-wheel drive, a truck, a bus, a bike, a motorbike. It can distinguish all of that and presents that on the screen. That's how accurate this thing is. So blind spot warning, if you do turn if you're turning and there's someone in your blind spot, the left lane line on the driver display will turn red. And I think you'll get a little tone as well. Uh, so that that's really handy. The mobile app has even more capabilities now. So what you can do now is initiate the software update from the app. So I got a notification that the update had arrived, and I I, I was actually in the city uh, had an, at an event. I had a cab charge to get in and back. My car was at home, so I called my son. I said, "Look, Aaron, get in my car. Do this. Press that." Hit update now. Okay, get out of my car, lock the car, put the keys away. So that started the update. So I knew I wasn't going to be home for three or four hours. The software update would have been done by the time I got home. With the new version of the app, the updated app, you can initiate that update remotely from the app. Just like you can flash the lights and beep the horn and do all kinds of things, that's yet another feature. Also, too, if you're in a, in a, a navigation, like a mapping app, Apple Maps, Google Maps, and you find directions somewhere, you can send them to the car as well. So uh, when you get in the car, you'll see the directions are on the map ready to go. So you don't have to get in the car and type in your address. You can do it from your phone, send it to the car. Another handy one. Uh, it's also going to have enhanced navigation routing as well, so you're going to see the uh, the better traffic information. It'll allow you, if it's more than a 10-minute delay, it'll reroute you on another trip. So also handy, but also, too, you can navigate on autopilot. What you're going to see now, uh, and this is coming, this is not, isn't out right now, this is a feature that's coming in the next few months. So navigate on autopilot. So say you're driving up the coast and there's a couple of uh, interchange in, in exchanges of, of highway, you need to turn off and turn on to another highway, it'll navigate all that on its own using autopilot. 
before. You just have to take turn off autopilot, do it yourself. When you get back on your other expressway, you can engage your autopilot again. Not anymore. Navigate on autopilot. But here, there are many other features that you can see on TechGuide, but the one I want to talk about to finish off is Atari Classic Games. This brought me back to my childhood. There's, a, there's, there's always some little Easter eggs on, the, on a Tesla, and this is the latest one, Atari Classic Games. And the four games are on board, Asteroids, Lunar Lander, Missile Command, and Centipede. And they take advantage of all the speakers in the car. You can use the buttons on the steering wheel as your controller. Awesome. Loved it. And would uh, if you got a, if I have to wait for someone, if I say picking up my daughter or my son or something, and I've got a five or ten minute wait, I think oh, I'm going to play a game. So I won't be upset that I've got to wait. I'll think yeah, I'll play a game while I'm waiting. Really handy. Only works of course when you're parked. So don't think you're going to be driving this thing and playing games at the same time. Not to be. You want to read more about the Tesla version nine update? You can check that out at TechGuide.com.au. Well, as you may also know, I have solar panels and a battery at my place, and that has, that means that I no longer pay the energy companies for my electricity because I have my solar panels uh, were supplied through Natural Solar. They came and installed those for me, and I've also got a Sonnen battery, which uh, is part of the Sonnen flat plan. So that allows me to be linked up to all the other Sonnen batteries in Australia. I send out and I receive power when I need it, produce it myself in the panels, send it out when I need it, use it, of course, from uh, from the panels and stored in the battery. But it, uh, for, for that, I'm paying $40 a month. That's my flat rate of power. That's what I pay Sonnen. I don't get a bill from Energy Australia anymore. My electricity, after the $19,000 installation cost, of course, but that was you don't get solar systems for nothing. That but that's going to pay itself off in five to six years. I was I was spending three and a half thousand dollars on electricity. Now with this the solar panels and the battery, the Sonnen battery installed through Natural Solar, then I'm now paying forty bucks a month, which is less than what I pay for my mobile bill a month. I pay sixty five bucks for my mobile plan, forty bucks a month for my electricity. Now, that's a pretty good deal if you ask me. Why am I talking about solar power, you ask? Well, there is now a rebate system, a government-subsidized program for home storage batteries for those of you living in South Australia. So uh, South Australians, lucky you, if you want to get a battery to go with your solar system, you can get up to $6,000 rebate to help you put the system together. What a great idea, and it's all done through uh, Australia's largest solar and battery installer, my mates at Natural Solar. They're the ones who installed the first of the uh, first of 40,000 units uh, that are going to be subsidised by the South Australian government. The Sonnen factory, they built one in Australia, is actually in South Australia. South Australia has had its uh, energy woes in the past, but now with so many people uh, taking up this offer, it's going to really take the strain off the grid. It's going to really reduce demand, and this could even lower the costs. This will lower the costs for the if anyone who wants to install a home battery system, but also possibly reduce electricity prices for South Australians as well. So the subsidy applies to storage batteries like the Sonnen battery, which are which are part of our my Sonnen flat system. So now you can then purchase your panels or additional solar panels. You may already have panels. And they can be financed through the Commonwealth Government's Clean Energy Finance Corporation. So uh, you might not have the dough now, but they can 
that they can help you out. That subsidy is handy if you're a South Australian resident. Uh, so there's plenty of options there to get your system up and running because guess what? Energy prices aren't going down at all. Energy prices are going to go up, and the more the more panels and the more battery storage you have, the less reliant you are on the electricity network. So applauding South Australia, I am, for doing this. Uh, I'm hoping the rest of Australia can wake up to themselves and also offer this to, to their citizens as well, to, to us voters. Get it into us uh, here in New South Wales, Victoria, Queensland, Western Australia. We want to see this everywhere. Tasmania, Northern Territory, we want to see it. We live in a country that has a lot of sun. We should have solar panels on every roof and batteries to store the extra power so that we can run our own homes with our own power, stop paying those massive electricity bills, restore some maybe affordability to electricity prices. Who knows what can happen if we decide to jump into solar? It is a massive, it has had a massive jump over recent times. Uh, Natural Solar is saying that once uh, within 24 hours of that South Australian subsidy being announced, Natural Solar received more than 4,000 inquiries. So in uh, in the past 24 months, Natural Solar has received more than 250,000 inquiries nationally for battery power. So that's just in the last two years, which is huge. So uh, we know where this is all going. Good on South Australia for encouraging people to take it up and to offer those incentives. I hope the rest of Australia takes suit as well. For more about that story, you can read it at techguide.com.au. Keeping you updated and educated. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Finney. Tech Guide. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly sponsored by Norton, that company that can keep you and your family safe online. You probably have antivirus on your computers and tablets, but did you know that your router could be letting hackers into your home? The router is the heart of the connected home, but can also provide an entry point for hackers to attack anything connected to your network, to infect your devices, steal your information, and even spy on your home. And unfortunately, just password protecting your router won't block these threats. Introducing Norton Core, a smart and more secure Wi-Fi router that delivers speed and security all in one. Norton Core delivers next-gen Wi-Fi speeds to every corner of your home while helping protect all of your connected devices, such as computers, phones, smart TVs, baby monitors, gaming consoles, smart speakers, and more, protecting all of them from digital threats by helping to block them at the network level. With built-in parental controls, Norton Core also lets you set screen time limits by device or user, set content filters, and even pause the internet across your home or from an easy-to-use smartphone app. Norton Core, the smart, more secure Wi-Fi router, is available now at your local Harvey Norman store. Tech Guide. Now, answering all your tech questions, the Tech Guide Help Desk. Oh, I had uh, a question for the Tech Guide Help Desk this week. It was uh, uh, one of my readers who was asking, can she have dual uh, two different numbers from two different telcos on the same device? Answer to that is yes. The difference with the new iPhones, though, the iPhone XS and the iPhone XR, they do have dual SIM capability, but don't have dual physical SIMs. There's one physical SIM, which you can put in and use right now, but there is also an eSIM. This is an electronic SIM that is activated by the telco. At the moment, we don't have that available to customers just yet, but Telstra... Optus, Vodafone, they're all working on having an eSIM available for customers 
for their new iPhone. So, and people say, well, what do I need two numbers for? Well, there's a lot of people who have a work phone number, they might be a tradie, and they've got a private number. So rather than having to carry around two phones, they can have one phone. Travelers, they might want, want to keep their Australian number, but also maybe use a local number, maybe for their data. Uh, so that, that's, a, that's a possibility as well. Having two numbers is really handy. And now, finally, the iPhone lets you do it. Thing is, though, you need one physical SIM, but also the other. Your second number will be an eSIM. And hopefully, sometime soon, we'll be able to have that. The Australian telcos will offer that to customers shortly. You can read about the new iPhone XS and the XR, which both have dual SIM capabilities at techguide.com.au. And that's the end of our show for this week. You read about everything that we've talked about at techguide.com.au. And if you want to get in touch, send us a voice bite. You can get access that through Tech Guide or send us an email, info at techguide.com.au. We want to give a special shout-out to our sponsors, Netgear, the brand you can trust for all your Wi-Fi needs, and also Norton, the company that can keep you and your family safe online. Thanks for listening. We are taking next week off, so we'll be joining you. Uh, we'll be going on a well-earned holiday, So, but we look forward to you joining us again in two weeks' time. So until then, stay safe and stay connected. Music.